Hello and welcome to the Arista Wealth Podcast, where we focus on your finances, wellness, and lifestyle, so you can focus on living your dreams. We'll help you navigate through important topics so that you can elevate your life and financial health. Let's get started with your host, Paul Moffitt. Welcome to Arista Wealth Podcast. Grateful that you're able to listen in today. We're super excited to have as our guest, Daniel Sai, who I'll tell you where he's calling from and visiting with us from. But we're really excited, very, very excited to have his insight and his perspective to share with us today. Daniel just recently finished a new book entitled The Space Maker, How to Unplug, Unwind, and Think Clearly in the Digital Age. It won the Personal Best Development book in Australia in 2021. If you've never been to that great country, it's a great place to visit. But we'll let him tell us more about him. But Welcome, Daniel. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on the show, Paul. Great to have you. So, Daniel, tell us where you're from and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm from Down Under. I'm in a place called Hobart, Tasmania. It's right at the bottom of Australia. If you keep going south, you'll probably hit Antarctica. And look, I have three children. I'm, I'm married. I also run a productivity training and consulting organization for busy people. We help people with their email inbox and help them manage to-do lists and make priorities, but we also help people make space in their busy lives to think and rest away from a screen by rethinking their, I suppose, their relationship with digital technology. Oh, that's great. Everybody's looking how to live a happier, healthier, and more productive life. So you're probably in high, high, high demand. Yeah, absolutely. Look, particularly (laughs) post-COVID, we've started to experience digital overuse and People are starting to reflect on what wealth and what success really means for them. And clearly, wealth has to involve a healthy lifestyle where you get to invest in your kids or grandkids that you really want to spend time with. That true wealth is feeling energetic and healthy in yourself and and making space for your mind and your heart and for the relationships that really matter. And so, yeah, my work is certainly more in demand after COVID with everyone tired from Zoom fatigue than it was before. Yeah. Well, that's great. Let's jump into this. Once again, congratulations on your new book. I've got a couple of questions for you, Daniel, for our listeners. And the first question is, why is it important to examine our relationship with the online world and the digital mm. world? Yes, yeah, a great question. The first thing to recognize is we all have a relationship, whether we're young or whether we're older, we have some type of relationship developing with the online world. There are stories and beliefs that we have around technology, and those stories and that relationship shapes our behaviors. And it's interesting, particularly in the people I work with, many of us will reach for our phone. The first thing we reach for is their phone first thing in the morning. It's our alarm clock. We open up, I don't know, either Google or the share market or the news or whatever particularly connects with us at a heart level. And then the last thing we do at night is often scroll something on our phone before we go to sleep. Even the partner next to us in bed, we're not talking to them, we're talking to our phone and so are they. And so there's this strange thing happening where we almost have a stronger relationship with our online world than we do with others. Wow. As you know, we spend our time on these devices that we carry around, help us understand this neuroplasticity and how our brains are shaped by this digital overuse. I used to be a physical therapist. That was my original career. And I remember a patient, we'll call her Susan, and she came in with her neck twisted to one side, about 30 degrees to the right. 
And I'm like, why does she look like a crab? And she'd had a motor vehicle accident a number of years before. And because of the whiplash injury, she held her neck on one side. But the interesting thing is she could turn her neck both ways and she didn't have as much pain as I thought she would. And so I got her to close her eyes and turn her head to the left and then to the right in front of a mirror. And I said, open up your eyes when your head is straight. And she opened up her eyes and her head was 30 degrees to the right, the same position as it was before. And so her brain had changed its map of the world and what she thought was straight was no longer straight. Does that make sense? And so we had to retrain her brain by practicing having her head straight again, just like her brain trained itself to be kind of skew with practicing with its head to the right. And in terms of neuroplasticity, that means that our brain changes in response to our habitual behaviors and actions. And what's fascinating with digital technology is I think the average American is now online nine plus hours a day. It's more than half your waking life. You're on a screen. Younger people are online more, so are office workers. And because of that, we're actually practicing the internet nine to 12 hours a day. And imagine if you were to practice the piano nine to 12 hours a day, what would that do to your brain? How would that change the makeup of your neurons? And how would that change your map of the world? But we're practicing the internet nine to 12 hours a day, and it is actually changing our brain from an MRI perspective. It's making us multitask. It's making us more distracted. It's changing the way we understand who we are and who others are and the patience we have for slow and still things. So it's important to recognize that the practice that we're giving our brains on the internet is actually changing us. And that's why one of the reasons why it's so important to take time out from the net on a regular habitual basis as a rhythm, which is what my book is about, teaching busy people like you and I who are online a lot of the time, who work very busy work lives, but putting intentional patterns and rhythms in our lives where we unplug, where we unwind and rest, where we deeply connect with those who matter. Very grateful for that insight, Daniel. It's having that discipline to break that habit. And when you were first talking about that lady, Sue, that walked into your chiropractic I thought you were going to say, because she'd been turning right to read her iPhone on an angle (laughs) (laughs) and and didn't know that. I thought, oh, no. But certainly these smartphones and this digital overuse in the stock market, it's a zero-sum game every day. There's a winner and a loser. Mm. And there's a positive and there's a negative. And as people are putting so much time in this digital overuse, something is being depleted. What you're talking about is it's the social side, and you're here to help us get unplugged, unwind, and think clearly. And what are some ways that our listeners can unplug and unwind to help us create that silence and that balance and personal health and wholeness that they may be looking for? Yeah. In the book, what I've started with is the paradigm of technology, recognizing that unless there's a head and a heart shift and a deep realization that actually we're probably online too much and that digital overuse is causing us to feel anxious or stressed or just like you said, I like what you said, we lose some of the intangibles of being a human. We lose the intangibles of the benefit of face-to-face relationships, of silence, of examining the inner life, of being a spiritual person. We lose some of those things when we're constantly on a screen and they take a bit of time to realize, oh, I'm losing this because I'm always online. Once you change your paradigm, then the question you've asked, I would call 
the principles. What are the principles that help you unplug? And we have five principles in the book with an acronym SPACE. So the first one is to set limits. We need to recognize the value of actually setting intentional limits on our digital use, just like we would with our calorie intake with dieting or food. We would set limits on how much we sit on the couch rather than exercise. And we set limits with finance, what we'll spend and what we won't. But we haven't necessarily translated that same principle into how we use digital technology as a whole community. And it's really important that we start to set limits. The second one is predictable patterns. And once we've set limits, we need patterns in our life where we're disconnecting and unplugging from technology. They're either daily patterns like not starting and ending the day with your phone, but charging your phone outside of your bedroom as a family or having a digital free meal where you eat a meal every day as a family, hopefully with your kids, if you've got kids, to actually just talk. And the research is tremendous. It massively improves kids' lives and their health and happiness and also your family dynamics. Another, maybe a weekly pause like a digital Sabbath where you're offline a day a week to truly rest or an annual pattern where you book your holidays and your vacation before you book your work and make that a priority so that you orientate your life first each year through rest, through the rest lens rather than the work lens. So these are the habits I have in the book, but they're all around patterns that you can create in your life that actually end up putting first things first and putting rest and space in your life first. The last three are very quick. One is assign rest before work. So make sure you actually prioritize learning rest. The fourth one is cultivate community, which is about the value of in-person face-to-face relationships as opposed to social media friendships and the research behind why that is so important. And the last one is to embrace silence, to recover our spiritual selves and to relearn the beauty of simply doing nothing and reflecting on who we are, on praying, on maybe meditating on scripture or or looking at the world around us in a peace-filled way. So those principles are applied in all my practices, which is my last section, and that will help guide you to actually live a healthier life where you're online and working most of the time. I imagine most of you are often online and almost always working like I am, <laughs> but we need to put in these these spaces in our life so that we can truly have a broad life and a broad sense of success over time. I love that space and I'm excited about your book and once again, congratulations and kudos for winning one of the best personal developments down under. You spark a question and it is, when should our clients give their first phone to the child or a grandchild? Yeah, that's a tremendously big question. I'm asked that all the time <laughs> from parents because it's there's so much social pressure to give our children devices early. And I mean, Elon Musk said, we're all cyborgs now and we should get over it. And there is a sense where our children will be cyborgs. They're going to be half human, half man. You know, they're going to be half digital, half human. And that's, that is the world that they grow up in. But my heartbeat as a parent and as someone teaching parents is to help our kids have a reference of the world, which isn't just technological. So to, to learn to climb trees to learn the value of eating a messy meal and having spaghetti on the table where you're not looking at your phone and taking a photograph of it and putting it on Instagram, you know, to value silence or sitting on the bus or the train and actually looking outside of the window or just walking in the bush in nature and experiencing and breathing in the fresh air and being present with those you're walking with. Our kids are going to need experiences 
that are rich and full from a neurological perspective. This is the brain development perspective again, so that when they become cyborgs, when they become totally addicted to their screens because of work and life, and they start to feel the experiences of digital overuse, then they'll have a reference point to go back to and say, actually, I used to be human. Let's do that again. Look, for me, I would say the parents slow down as much as you possibly can. You're probably looking at the age of eight years old to 10 years old. My daughter first phone until 15 years old, which is this year. And when she does, it'll have filters. There's a contract in place for what she will and won't do. I own the phone, so it's a privilege, not a right. It's one area where I don't suggest that kids save up and earn their own devices. I think it's important in this particular area that this is a gift from the parent and the parents actually have the ownership of the phone. There's lots of things that help us make wise decisions. But the only thing I'd say is, you know, all the leaders of Silicon Valley don't give their kids phones at the ages we do. Bill Gates didn't do it until he was 14. I mean, his kids are, you know, obviously older. Steve Jobs said he wouldn't give his kids an iPad because it's bad for their mental development. They want to read books and talk about history over the table. Even like the CEO of Google, Sundai Pichai, has really strong limits on his digital time. Even Spiegel, I think that's how you pronounce it, who's the CEO of Snapchat, he only allowed his stepson apparently 45 minutes of screen time a week. So the creators of these devices know how addictive they are and how bad they are for children's brains, particularly girls and social media and young boys and pornography. So therefore, why would we give our kids these devices earlier than they would simply because they make money for the shareholders of Silicon Valley tech companies? So basically, slow down, be kind on yourself and give your kids rich and meaningful non-digital experiences so they have something to return to in later life. Great. That's great. And to follow up with you, Daniel, you had said that you're a pastor one of the terms that is in there is, you know, what is a digital Sabbath and why does it matter? I'm a follower of Jesus and I came to, to the realization that my life never had any buffer and I never actually rested. And I started to read this kind of idea. I'm not from a Sabbath tradition in my church community, realizing, wow, like there's a commandment that says we should rest <laughs> and we should give God the first fruits of our time, not the first, just the first fruits of our money. And that there's this rhythm that you see in scripture where people first rest and then they work from that beautiful place of rest that the Jewish people Sabbath at the start of the week and then the rest of the week is shaped by that Sabbath. And then I read another quote from Christian theologian Walter Brueggemann who said, those who take the Sabbath live all seven days differently. And I've realized that there's this tremendous difference working from this place of rest, from this place of peace and security in your spirit as opposed to just running to stand still and then having to gasp at the end of the week and have some type of vacation day. And so I started to practice this day off where I have one really deeply important day off each week. And that for me isn't a Sunday because, as you mentioned, I'm a bivocational pastor, so I do it on Saturday just out of practicalities. So I don't think it matters what day it is necessarily, but it needs to be oriented around rest. So really resting together as a family and a community and also either worship or remembrance. I like the term rest and remembrance, remembering who we are in God, who we are as people. But what I recognized is I used to be on my phone and check my email or check the news or, or even just watch Netflix on my days off. And I never felt that rested. 
And then I realized, well, actually work for me involves doing what we're doing now. I'm communicating through a screen. I'm swiping, I'm typing, I'm looking at email, I'm communicating using the internet. And my brain from a neurological perspective can't tell the difference between Outlook and Instagram or Outlook and Netflix. It's all digital. It's all the same type of stuff. And so if being online is work for me, well, then if I'm going to be faithful to a day off once a week to honor God and live the best life I have, well, then I need to disconnect from my work. And that means I need to turn off my devices. So I now have a full day each week where I don't have devices and I experience the other things in life. I play board games with my kids. I we eat bacon and eggs. We walk. I chainsaw wood. I have a lot of property on my and a lot of timber, well, a lot of dead trees. And yeah. I find that chainsawing is restful because it's not at all what I do for work. Being physical is the opposite of what I do for work and therefore it's rest. I take people through a process in the book of what does rest really look like for you? And what does it look like for you as a family with introverts and extroverts and different personality types? What does work mean for you? What does rest mean for you? How might you prepare for Sabbath, like prepare the house and prepare your life? How might you create a ritual to actually enter the Sabbath from a place of work and exhaustion? And then how might you disconnect from technology and then make sure that the day becomes a deeply restful thing that you practice over time because rest actually requires practice like any spiritual skill or spiritual discipline. And I've also got free handouts on my website to help people and guide them through this how to plan a digital Sabbath and videos with a lot more detail. Wow. Daniel, this is great. Everyone out there, please don't hesitate. Reach out and grab his book or even do it on Audible. And so you can listen to a lot of deep, rich information for us to digest, read. Daniel, how can our listeners stay in touch with you? Yeah, so I'd love you to connect. My website is spacemakers.com.au. The .au is for Australia. As I mentioned, if you follow the book links, you might even want to put one in for me, Paul. But there's a link to download videos and handouts to help you plan a digital Sabbath. And I also run training courses in productivity, how to get your inbox to zero if your email's out of control. We call that Email Ninja. And we have other courses like List Assassin and Priority Samurai, fairly ridiculously sounding courses, but they're very serious and helpful to help people get productive. We run them online for teams around the world. So if your team needs to be more productive in about three or four hours, I can help you with that. So I'd love you to contact me through my website. Love it. Thank you, Daniel. And and listeners, thank you for listening in. We've been richly enlightened today about Daniel helping us to unplug, unwind, and think clearly and to increase our happiness, our health, and also so much duplication and applying these great thoughts and ideas into the wealth creation mode. And so thank you very much, Daniel. And remember, listeners, to go to aristawealth.com to look at other tools, tips, and videos. And next week, we're excited to come back to you with another fabulous, incredible guest. Thank you. This episode of the Arista Wealth Podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more advice on your finances, wellness, and lifestyle so you can focus on living your dreams. Don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode.